This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Welcome, everyone, to another installment of Green Talk Radio. This is Sean Daly, your host. And I have with me today Jeff Lloyd, who is the Vice President of Research and Development at NISIS Corporation. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi there, Sean. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. How about yourself? Good. I'm fine, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and particularly because uh, this is a topic that I have personally been thinking about a lot lately, <laughs> and I'll tell you why in a minute with a story, but um, it's something we haven't covered on the program before, which is the idea of, or the industry of pest control, and can we accomplish this, and how do we accomplish this, and still sort of not poisoning the environment and, and such, and living in a healthy home. So uh, I, I certainly, uh, you know, think this is an intriguing topic, and I'm, I'm, I am on pins and needles myself to hear the answers. So why don't we just start with what NYSIS Corporation exactly does? And then it will go from there. Sure. Well, NYSIS Corporation is a uh, manufacturer of products for the pest control industry. And we specialize in manufacturing and researching environmentally friendly, low environmental impact type products. Um, and that's really our core mission and, and what we specialize in. I see. I know that most pest control products that are out there are, are quite toxic, both to the inhabitants of the house, obviously, to the, to, to the pests, and those two go, go hand in hand uh, off time. So I'm, I'm curious about, can you tell us something about the specifics of how you accomplish that? What types of um, ingredients are used in these pest control products that makes them uh, dangerous to pests, but uh, safe for humans or safer? Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's a good question, really. It's quite a paradox we're in. We're specifically trying to kill or, or prevent problems with pests, but obviously we don't want to kill or, or you know, prevent homeowners from living in their homes. Um, so today, and with you know, ongoing times and people being more aware of their environment and what's going on around them, we're seeing dramatic changes in the industry and movements to more environmentally friendly products or lower toxicity products or lower environmental impact type products. And really that's achieved in a variety of different ways. Um, and a good example I can probably give you is the move from a broad spray application of a toxic insecticide. You know, a traditional product would be something like DDT, which everybody would be familiar with, causing a lot of environmental problems. A move from that type of broadcast spray product to a very specific bait product where a bait can be put out. No non-target organisms are interested in eating the bait. Only the target organisms are interested in eating the bait. And then if you can get really clever, only the target organisms can be affected by the active ingredient. So for example, you know, instead of doing a spray treatment in somebody's yard for ants, 
with a product like DDT, you can now move to a bait product, which is only attractive to ants. Ants will specifically try and find the bait, and then they'll eat it. And then if you specifically use a borate-based material as the active ingredient in the bait, it's really only effective against insects, and people can eat a large volume of the material accidentally, and it won't do them any harm. It has no effect on uh, humans and pets, and we can talk about that in a little bit as well if you'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you said that that was borate, or the borates are the uh, active ingredient that's used that accomplishes that? Yeah, that's one of them. There are some other active ingredients, such, such as the insect growth regulators, which again only target the uh, insects, only target the target pest and not other friendly organisms or friendly animals. But we particularly like the borates here because they're a natural part of the environment anyway. And borates are actually an essential micronutrient for plants. And they're also an important part of human nutrition uh, with quite a high allowable daily intake. Oh, okay. So, you know, accidental ingestion uh, isn't normally going to give anybody any problems. Okay, well, that's interesting because that, that makes a lot of sense to me that you'd introduce something that's already sort of, that nature is automatically introducing into the ecosystem uh, to accomplish this just at a, at a, at a more targeted or higher uh, uh, quantity level. And so that that's good. And I, I mean, I think that's part of the problem is that we apply these other chemicals and, you know, they're, they're not part of the process. And so there are uh, negative consequences to doing so uh, yeah, both to the environment and to people. Yeah. But it's a, it's a two-prong approach that we try and take. First of all, we're careful in the selection of the active ingredient. So it's a pretty um, low toxicity type active ingredient. But then secondly, that targeted approach is also very important. So put in the product, instead of you know, spraying a whole yard and killing off butterflies and bumblebees and you know, friendly organisms, you know, we can just put the material out in a bait so it's only attractive to that specific target pest and none of the friendly insects, which are actually going to help you in your pest control approaches. Okay, so how much of it has to do with proper use of product or proper product ingredients versus sort of best practices and how you manage in terms of pest control? Yeah, best, best practice is also very important. And um, with good professional pest control applicators, for example, they would do, do um, sort of routine inspections on the homes before carrying out any form of pesticide application. So, you know, really the best job that a pest control operator can do um, is to properly inspect a home and find problems that are going to lead to pests or that will cause problems with pests to be exacerbated. So, for example, um, you know, if you've got a gutter full up of leaves that's, that's holding water, that's going to do a variety of, of things um, to the homeowner that the homeowner's not going to want. Um, first of all, it's going to be a great breeding ground for mosquitoes. So the homeowner's going to have a big mosquito problem. They're potentially going to be exposed to West Nile virus, things like that. Very, very easy to avoid that. You know, unblock the, the gutters, clear the downpipes, make sure the water's, you know, shed away from the home. Um, other problems they're going to have are things like, you know, that water leaking into the home, causing mold problems, fungal decay problems, and also producing conducive conditions for termites as well. And, and those sorts of things, a pest control professional can easily point out to the homeowner. The homeowner can correct the problems and hopefully avoid 90% of the problems they could otherwise be exposed to. 
It's interesting you mentioned the, the West Nile virus because just on the front page of the paper locally here today, they discovered the second case in, in a week of West Nile in a, in a college student nearby. So certainly a concern in this area of the country in Northern California. Yeah, yeah. And most pests, by definition, have potential health effects associated with them. But at the same time, when, you know, at the same time as being concerned about the potential health effects, it's worthwhile keeping things in perspective. So, for example... You know, yes, there are fatalities, unfortunately, associated with West Nile virus. But, you know, the last year or the last few years in the United States, you know, it's typical for 30 to 40,000 people every year to die of influenza, for example. Right. And that's something that's easily taken care of. Just go to the, the doctors in the wintertime and get yourself a shot. Well, yes, depending on whether they identified the correct strains, but that's uh, certainly the, that's their selling point, uh, whether or not I'll leave it to the experts to determine how accurate that is. <laughs> sure. Yeah, what I was just trying to do is make, make the point that there are risks associated with pests. That's why we want to control them, because they do have potential health effects associated with them. But at the same time, whilst we should have concern about pests, we don't necessarily need to be terrified by them all the time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm curious on that topic. There are many pests. I mean, we've got, you know, everything from your insects to rodents and things like that. Are you guys mainly concentrating on insects or are you also going into the, you know, rodent aversion? And I also want to talk about aversion versus killing because there's also, when you start getting into the larger, well, I think all creatures, there are certain people that have some ethical concerns about it too. So I'm curious about uh, what's the scope of different pests that you guys control with the products that NYSIS delivers. Yeah, certainly. Well, the biggest pest in the United States actually are ants, um, carpenter ants, uh, odorous house ants, fire ants, you know, general ants like that are actually the largest pest problem that we have in the United States. They cause the most problems, the most claims, the most call-outs for professional pest control uh, companies. Um, we do try and target ants and other general pests like ants, including health effect pests such as cockroaches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we manufacture a range of environmentally friendly bait products specifically to target those types of pests, and that's a big segment of, of our market and, uh, and of our business. Um, the other segment that we tend to specialize in is the wood-destroying organism section. So we uh, manufacture a lot of products for uh, subterranean termites, dry wood termites, uh, wood-destroying beetles, decay fungi, and also mold fungi um, is a speciality of ours as well. Um, those two segments really probably make up about 90% of our business. And then we have some other products that are actually not pesticidal products, um, but are useful in pest control, such as, for example, um, odor-eliminating products, uh, repellent products that, that will keep pests away and actually don't, don't kill or um, poison pests at all, but just try and repel them. Um, but as of right now, we don't manufacture any rodenticide-type materials. We always try and find products that will have a low toxicity and low environmental impact, mm-hmm. um, but that also work. And, and, and right now, it's very difficult to come up with good control strategies for rodents that really have no um, mammalian toxicity because rodents are, are actually mammals themselves and right. finding things that will kill rodents and not kill people is very difficult. Right. So, so for right now, we sort of stay away from that area. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know. Well, we'll stick within the framework of you know, insect pests and then also mold. You mentioned mold care. I'm curious about that. M- moldy homes are not healthy homes, and that's something that's come up on this program in reference to, to uh, green building. And I'm curious to hear about what, what that product looks like. Is that also a green product, the mold care product? Yeah, we actually sell a product 
product. It's actually called BoraCare with mold care, um, specifically for controlling mold. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is when you've got a situation that's wet enough to support mold growth, unfortunately, it's also wet enough to support the growth of fungal decay, which causes the wood rot and, and eventual structural failure. Um, associated with those organisms. And it also is the ideal conducive conditions for termite attack. So actually, you know, in my business, I actually think a little bit of mold growth is a good thing. It's an indicator organism, and it tells me that there's a moisture problem in a home that we need to fix before we get bigger problems with decay fungi and wood-destroying insects such as termites. I see. And with regard to the BoraCare with mold care, the BoraCare product we sell by itself, and we sell that primarily for termite protection, both in new construction and in uh, existing construction. And it's, very, it's a very green product for a variety of reasons, which I'll touch on in just a second. Um, but that BoraCare product controls all of the wood-destroying organisms, and then the mold care product controls the mold organisms, which are slightly different types of fungi to the decay fungi. Um, and we use both products together so that we fix all of the problems associated with the moisture, not just one of the problems. I see. And how does that compare to uh, soil treatments? Okay, yeah, that's a very good question. The traditional approach for preventing subterranean termites in a structure is to poison all of the soil underneath the structure. Now, now, by definition, that's obviously a direct environmental impact. You've had to deliver, typically on an average house, about 400 gallons of pesticide directly into the soil underneath the house. Wow. So, you know, it's a direct environmental impact. Yeah. Um, specifically with the BoraCare product, we don't put the product into the soil. We actually treat all of the entry points for termites in the structure. So, for example, the plumbing penetrations that come up through the concrete slab, um, expansion joints in the concrete slab. Um, we treat all of the structural wood in uh, the home in a two-foot barrier treatment. Um, and if you know, and basically, what the system, the way the treatment works, is it provides a barrier to the termites. They're not able to tube over the boracare-treated zone, and then they're also not able to eat the wood. Um, which is basically poisoned to the termites. And, of course, what we're doing there is a similar philosophy to the one I explained with the bait. We've taken a low mammalian toxicity active ingredient that's effective against insects but not effective against humans, and we've placed that in a very targeted position whereby it's only really accessible to termites and it's not accessible to anybody else or any non-harmful uh, insect organisms. You know, when you put insecticide into the soil, unfortunately, you kill, you know, butterfly larvae um, and uh, all sorts of different insects that, that aren't a problem at all and are actually a good thing in the environment. Right, it, incidental sort of killing. Yeah, exactly. Collateral damage Collateral would be, damage. Um, you know, would be a sort of... Would be the military. <laughs> That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And it's really not necessary to do that if you're much more targeted in your approach. Well, and that's been my question, and I mentioned that I would say a story, and the story was quite short. It's just that we got a phone call, one of those random cold calls from a pest control company, and I, I sort of nailed them on the spot. I don't think this guy knew what he was in store for because I was preparing for this interview, and <laughs> so I really nailed him. He didn't have any good answers for some of the questions, but I think the, the, the general question is, um, 
is it possible pragmatically and realistically to think that you can both manage, uh, you know, to a reasonable level, to a reasonable degree, manage the pests, around, typical pests around uh, a home, and in such a way that is not damaging to oneself, one's family, and to the greater ecosystem. Uh, yeah, around. sure. I mean, yeah. is, that, is that real? Yeah, I, I think it is, but I think that design and construction practices are, are just as important as, uh, as pest control approaches. For example, I mean, generally we live in homes with pitched roofs. The reason we do that is to shed water away from the homes and so to prevent us having problems or reduce the problems associated with mold and decay fungi and subterranean termites. If we all lived in flat roof structures, that's much more difficult to do. You know, it's potentially a design flaw mm -hmm. to build a flat roof structure. Um, a pitched roof sheds water much more effectively. Uh, we also tend to try and build our homes above grade so that um, you know, again, we haven't got moisture penetrating our homes on a regular basis. And there's, there's sort of a common sense approach for sure. But they're very, very important, those types of design and construction approaches that mostly we don't think about. But, but they're there, and they're there to mitigate uh, pest problems as well. Is that something that you communicate in terms of the educational information that you communicate to both consumers and to, to builders? And, and if so, how? Yeah, absolutely. Very good question. We, we, do, we do try and do that. And it's especially important with regard to moisture mitigation um, and with regard to mold and decay control. Um, and we do very specific seminars to both builders, homeowner associations, uh, pest control companies, um, the National uh, Pest Control or the National Pest Management Association. Um, I've also given programs to architects, architectural associations, uh, uh, the Texas Home Builders Association, I gave a, gave a presentation to them. And really, that was all about moisture mitigation and avoiding problems with moisture mm -hmm. um, in order to avoid pest problems. Hmm. You know, and if, if you can take care of, of all of those types of things, you know, I mean, to be honest, if everybody did everything perfectly, I would lose probably 50% of my business. Sure. You sure. know, well, because well, you can avoid a lot of problems. Yeah, it's commendable that you're out there you know, helping people be proactive about the root causes that can be the literal breeding grounds for these problems. Yeah, well, you need you need to do that, really. Yeah, well, unfortunately, not everybody does it, so it's good, still good to hear, and I still commend you. Um, oh, thank you. Well, I'm curious about the company itself. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about, does NYSIS consider itself, beyond the products, a green company, and if so, in what ways? Yeah, good question. Um, well, uh, yeah, NYSIS considers itself to be a green company. Actually, the name NYSIS, I understand, comes from the Latin word niti, which means to progress or move forward. And obviously, that's with an environmental sort of message in mind. Um, uh, everything we try and do at NYSIS Corporation, we try and do from a, from a green perspective or from a perspective of trying to reduce our environmental impacts. Um, and I'm just trying to think of some examples where we've tried to do that recently. Um, you know, obviously, we, we have a factory and, you know, we have a building where, where we work and where we produce our products. So we have environmental impact associated with that. It's right. difficult to avoid. Right. But, but we try and mitigate that and we try and reduce our environmental impact. 
So when, when we um, got this facility, we didn't purpose build this facility. We actually took, um, we were in a smaller facility than this in a different part of the research park where we're based. Um, and we took over uh, this facility because we needed a larger facility, but we took over an existing facility that was already there. The environmental impact had already been made and the building was standing empty. So by doing that, we avoided the need to go out and build a brand new structure and create a brand new environmental impact. So that's sort of one, one example. But then we had to do a lot of things to the building to, to change it and make it, you know, try and reduce the environmental impact. So, for example, all of the lights in the warehouse and the manufacturing plant, they were all very high energy sort of spotlight um, type lights. I can't remember the, the name for the type of lights, but very high uh, electricity utilizing lights, you know, very powerful, very bright, and really not necessary for what we do out there. Um, so we were able to change all of those lights um, and install fluorescent lighting to meet the same objective and light the warehouse that's safe for workers, etc., but significantly reduce the energy consumption. I think we actually were able to reduce the energy consumption by about 90% um, for, a, for our lighting needs by doing that. Yeah, so that that's, was, that's that was one example. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I had a specific question, if you don't mind me asking sure. it, about are there, are there, I don't even know if this is the case, but are there byproducts of your particular manufacturing process that produce any toxic byproducts? And, and if so, again, if so, how, how do you deal with those? Yeah, good question. The, the easy answer actually is that there are not any byproducts from uh, the, our manufacturing plant. We buy in all... Um, you know, food grade type materials for the manufacture of our baits and things like that. And we use all of the components that we buy in for that. So, for example, you know, don't go and tell our, our competitors, but we buy a corn cob grit and then we add to that um, food grade vegetable oils and food grade sugars um, to make it very attractive to insect pests, especially ants and cockroaches. Mm-hmm. And then we also add um, the borate component um, as the active ingredient to that. So there's, there's no waste product. But that's sort of an easy answer. There's always waste associated with what you do. And so, for example, you know, if you start to look at packaging issues and, and things like that, you know, we sell our products in packages. What happens to those packages at, at the end of the day? You know, and that's obviously a waste issue. It's not our immediate waste issue, but it is a waste issue that we've caused. And we, we think about that and we try and, do, we try and do what we can to fix those sorts of situations. So we try and supply all of our products in packaging that can be recycled. We also try where we can to produce our products in the largest possible pack size so that we minimize the amount of packaging we have to use for the shipment of the volume of material. Um, And then on the larger pack sizes as well, we're also able to bring back that packaging and reuse it or to actually use packaging that's already been used in the first place. So, for example, our 250-gallon totes that we sell some of our products in, we actually buy in ready-used uh, totes. They've already been used. They've already served their purpose, so we're recycling them. Um, and we wash those out and make sure they're properly clean, etc. And then we use those to supply our products to the, to the customer to try and reduce our packaging uh, waste, like, etc. Sounds like it's following the, the, the three R's of re- reduce and reuse and recycle. Absolutely. That's what you've got to try and do. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we have, some, we have some fun with some other things as well. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, um, an environmentalist myself. They tease me sometimes, some of my 
my colleagues for some of the things I try and do in my own home. But um, Can you one give of the things, examples of that. <laughs> oh, I I, um, I just installed uh, 55 gallon um, oil drums. Uh, to all of my downspouts on my house and they automatically fill with water whenever it rains and then when we have a dry spell like we've had in Tennessee recently for the last three months I'm able to water my flower beds and stuff just automatically from the water I've collected from the um, from my roof. Really? And you, 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 you get made fun of in, in Tennessee for that? That, that? I do a little bit and then some of my neighbours um, my, my wife and I we actually hang our washing on a washing line in, in the backyard to, to dry our clothes and uh, some of my neighbours Papers frown on that a little bit as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's it's funny because it depends on the area of the country. Because you know, around here in, in Northern California, the people that do that stuff very proudly announce it. I mean, I think it's great. It's very, very cool. Yeah. You start feeling a little guilty for not doing it. So it's interesting. Uh, yeah, well, we can all we can all do a little bit if we if we try. But I, um, one of the things that I'm talking with our production manager right now of, of trying to do, we we use we actually moved recently to a, um, a much more efficient heating system for the manufacture of one of our products. We have a high-temperature um, uh, reaction vessel, which is you know, super insulated and very, very efficient um, because of some of the changes we've made recently. But one of the things we're talking about now is actually preheating some of those materials um, using solar energy. Uh, fortunately, they're, li- they're liquids, and it's very efficient to use solar power to heat liquids. Um, so we're thinking about trying to, trying to um, use solar power to preheat liquids in order to manufacture some of our products as well. And that would be really neat if we could do that. Yeah, great. Well, a wealth of information. Uh, I certainly learned a lot today. I hope that our listening audience out there has as well. Jeff Lloyd, who is the Vice President of Research and Development at NYSIS Corporation, has been my guest today. Jeff, it was a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks for joining us and sharing the information. No, thank you, Sean. You're most welcome. Thanks, as always, to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.